Auzubillahimineshatwanirajim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful um, um, Peace be upon you, good morning and welcome to the breakfast show the voice of Islam with Imam Tawqeet and me and myself, Khalid Ahmed The time is approaching 4 minutes past 3 It's Friday, the 1st of July 2022 As always, we have a very packed show this morning on the breakfast show uh, The broadcast is a interactive broadcast. It means that our uh, listeners have the opportunity, should they want to, uh, to ring in and share their views on any of the uh, topics we may be discussing over the next two hours or so. The number to dial is 0208-687-7878. You can use a more modern method of communicating, the Twitter, if you want. Uh, The Twitter handle is Voice of Islam UK. Um, In a few minutes' time, we'll begin with the rundown of the weather before going on to examine some of the stories that are doing the round these days. Won't be spending too much time on each, uh, just trying to rattle through as uh, many of these as possible. We'll also be looking at the activities of the Hamdi Muslim community uh, that uh, we would like to uh, mention as well. Um, And as always, uh, during the course of the program, we will focus our attention on two main stories that uh, we want to deal with. Uh, The first uh, relates to the importance of donating blood and how its use is uh, uh, necessary in various medical conditions. Uh, Now there are calls uh, for more donors to come forward to bolster uh, our blood banks. One of the health ministers has certainly endorsed this. Uh, So this particular item uh, that we were discussing is going to be under the heading New Blood Donors Needed. Uh, So if you're really interested in this uh, particular topic, make sure that you remain tuned in during that part of the show, which is between 7.30 and 8.15. And in order to understand the subject better, or certainly certain aspects of it better, we'll be joined by Mr. Orin Lewis, OBE. Uh, Mr. Lewis is the co-founder and chief executive of the African Caribbean Leukemia Trust. So as I said, that's going to be between uh, 7.30 and 8.15. Do make sure that you remain tuned in when, uh, if, you're, uh, list, if you're interested in that particular topic. Uh, moving on to the second main topic, uh, this is about rituals and routines. Uh, why we need rituals, not routines, is the title of this topic. We'll be uh, learning about the difference between uh, the two, rituals and routines, and why rituals would be preferred. Now, uh, Dr. Caitlin O'Connell is a behavioral ecologist and world-renowned elephant scientist. Um, uh, She'll be joining us to uh, uh, lend um, uh, her expertise on the subject. And we also hope uh, to be joined by Imam and uh, Professor Burhan Raja, who will give us his take on the issue. No doubt he will be um, uh, uh, focusing his attention on the religious and Islamic angle to all the all this. But we all will also be uh, uh, benefiting from uh, Mr. Uh, Imam Tawqeet and we uh, providing the Islamic viewpoint as well. Uh, that will be done uh, by him throughout the course of the program on all the aspects of uh, uh, of various topics that we will be discussing during the next two hours or so. So lots to do, lots to cover. Don't go away. Here's a short break. After the short break, we'll be looking at uh, some of the news that is uh, circulating in the wider media. So do make sure that if you want to share your views on any of the things we may discuss, 
and that you can ring in. 0208-687-7878 is the number. Or you can uh, share your thoughts with us uh, through Twitter. Voice of Islam UK is the Twitter handle. So I'm going for a very short break. After that, we'll be back with the uh, news that is circulating around in the wider media. Don't go away. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Peace be upon you. Good morning. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show of the Voice of Islam with Imam Tawqeet and me and myself, Walid Ahmed. Um, lots going on in the uh, wider uh, wider media. One of the uh, stories that uh, was uh, quite um, dramatic was uh, this speech by the Scottish First Minister uh, throwing uh, down the gauntlet, so to speak. Uh, it was regarding uh, holding a legal referendum in October next year on Scottish independence. Uh, the most senior legal officer in Scotland, the Lord Advocate, uh, has tabled a request to the Supreme Court of the UK that it is legitimate for the Scottish party to pass a bill to hold such a referendum. Uh, if the highest court in the country, that's the Supreme Court, rules against this, then the Scottish First Minister has threatened, uh, this was what was in a, in a speech essentially on Tuesday, that she would uh, fight the general election as a de facto uh, referendum on the single question of whether Scotland should be independent. The SNP position remains that their party and the Greens won the last general election and have the majority in Holyrood, Holyrood being the Scottish Parliament, since they are both in favour of Scottish independence. Uh, the government view, Scottish Secretary Alistair Jack has expressed this, has said that he does not consider the pro-independence majority of Holyrood a mandate because less than a third of the electorate voted for the SNP. So yes, they have a majority in Holyrood, in the Scottish Parliament, but they should also be mindful of the fact that less than a third of the electorate uh, actually voted for them. So this uh, notion, this is what his argument is, that they have a majority among the uh, Scottish public for independence is um, um, is not tenable. The government position is also that uh, we have already had a referendum back in 2014, which was a generational poll, uh, where the Scots clearly voted uh, by, I think it was a margin of 55 to 45, against uh, separation. To have one now is too early and wrong, especially since the nation is going through so many difficulties with the cost of living crisis, uh, this inflation, war in Ukraine, etc. Um, the 2014 independence referendum, just to give some element of background to this, went ahead after the UK government agreed to what is called a Section 30 order. This allowed the Scottish Parliament to pass laws in areas normally reserved uh, to Westminster. And our UK ministers have said that they would consider any request for a Section 30 order now as well. 
but they have indicated that they would be unlikely to grant that request. The, the Section 30 order would give them, uh, give the Scottish Parliament the legitimacy to uh, pass a bill that would uh, mandate or warrant uh, a second referendum, and that is something that would be uh, withheld. The Section 30 order would be uh, would be considered, but not be granted. Uh, this is what um, the uh, feeling is, and hence. Uh, the uh, Scottish First Minister is taking the step that uh, she has. So uh, we'll see how that unfolds. Uh, the Prime Minister is uh, uh, returning uh, today from uh, his absence um, from the country for uh, the best part of uh, a week, 10 days, uh, having attended various summits, uh, including one that was held in uh, uh, Madrid, uh, now, this uh, has also raised uh, a few eye eyebrows um, in certain quarters, uh, certainly. Uh, and it relates to the um, summit that uh, was uh, held just earlier this week, a few days ago. And high on the agenda was the uh, conflict in Ukraine. So the summit was in, in Madrid. And one of the responses as to how to deal with uh, this crisis or crises like the one experienced in, um, in Ukraine was to increase defense uh, spending. But before that, the, the application of Finland and Sweden to become members uh, was also, uh, was also um, approved. Uh, whether uh, it is a process that will uh, uh, ensue that will eventually result in them becoming members, but uh, the green light was given for that. This is after Turkey had removed its objection uh, or uh, giving um, over giving refuge to what it considered to be terrorist. Turkey was against uh, Finland and Sweden becoming members because it had certain reservations, but apparently uh, those reservations have been um, um, put on the side, and so the green light has been given for Finland and Sweden to become members. So that's one development. The other development was that uh, there was a resolve to increase defence spending, and the Prime Minister declared that this was needed uh, in response to the Russian aggression. It was, he claimed, the cost of freedom that is always worth paying. Uh, now, it is expected that this will mean that uh, by 2030 we'll be spending uh, uh, something like 55 billion uh, pounds on arms and on defence, and this at a time when we have a cost of living crisis, workers are uh, having to strike demanding uh, wages that will uh, keep us uh, keep up with inflation. So despite this chaos that seems to exist, we still find uh, it right to spend uh, so much on, um, on weapons. Uh, but the Prime Minister seems uh, um, that this is something that is very necessary. He says funds are needed. Uh, to invest for the long term in vital capabilities. And uh, he talks about uh, needing to uh, adapt to a more dangerous and more competitive world. Uh, the one person that uh, we can be sure to have welcomed this move was the Defence Secretary, uh, Ben Wallace. He said that he was very grateful for the budget uh, and the budget increase and had always been clear that as the threat changes, so should... Um, 
defense spending. Critics are saying that such spending is against the pledge by, made by the uh, Conservative Party in the manifesto. This was that they would spend up to 2% of the GDP. Now, GDP is the gross domestic product, a measure of the size of the economy. Um, but the Prime Minister has declared this week that the spending would be increased to 2.5% by the end of uh, the decade, 25% increase, in fact. A clear breach of the election promise, but defenders of the government say that this is what is needed uh, because of the uh, situation that uh, currently exists in the wider world, and uh, especially in the in the wake of uh, the belligerence uh, or what critics describe as the belligerence uh, of uh, Russia and the East. Uh, there are some who are wondering if spending so much on war is in the interest of the world, uh, with the world becoming so intertwined and increasingly giving shape to an ever smaller global village. Uh, would it not be better to spend our billions in trying to improve relations, becoming less selfish and more selfless, and looking at the world within a global context rather than a national one, which uh, will surely bode better for our future than getting ready for war and spending billions for the effort. I don't know what your view is, but uh, we'd like to hear from you as to where you stand. Do you think that this particular step that's been taken by the uh, government is wise and warranted, that of spending so much more on defense and armaments uh, and or do you think that it would be better if our energies and efforts are expended elsewhere in cultivating peace uh, in the world rather than preparing for war? So we'd like to hear from you, 0208-687-7878 is the number, or you can tweet us at the Voice of Islam UK. Imam uh, Tokiri, uh, Islam alaikum. Is there anything that we can share with our listeners regarding the news of activities in the Amdiya Muslim community? Uh, yes, uh, we can certainly uh, do that. Um, and uh, one particular news item that I wanted to share with our listeners uh, just last week, Sunday, um, we, we the Amdiya Muslim Youth Association, uh, they held a final uh, at the uh, final final uh, national football tournament final which was held in uh, in Islamabad in Tilford UK um, so this this article reads that by the grace of Allah the national football tournament uh, which was held by the MD Muslim Youth Association UK returned after three years due to the pandemic and in the build-up to the actual event this uh, this football league, uh, the 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 Amdi uh, Muslim Youth Football League earlier this year helped create some excitement among 600 members uh, of the Amdi Muslim Youth Association footballers across the south and the north of the country. And the first two match days of the national football tournament took place at Watford FC training grounds on the fourth and fifth of June 2022. Uh, now I I did mention earlier when when we did have these tournaments in the uh, in the earlier period of June. However, um, just last week it was actually the the finals which took place. So uh, and and it, it mentions here that the also the national cricket tournament also took place just a day earlier on the second and the third of 
June. So it says that the facilities of uh, Watford FC were of a high, very high standard and the players thoroughly enjoyed the experience of playing at such facilities of a Premier League football club. And uh, in the first two match days, the group, sta- the group stages uh, up to the semi-finals were completed with around 280 uh, members of the Muslim Youth Association attending the event over two days. And uh, uh, the the final uh, of the final match of the national football tournament took place uh, in Islamabad on Sunday, twenty sixth of June. Um, and it mentions here that uh, members were extremely grateful to be granted uh, by His Holiness uh, permission to hold the final at this blessed site and also invite people to be part of this ex- experience and this was a large audience viewing the final including um, including uh, the uh, members of the uh, of the Lejna Maula the uh, ladies association uh, they they also had the opportunity to attend this event so it says the attendance of the final match was approximately 420 people out of which 200 were uh, of the of the of the ladies uh, that had also attended this, and it was a great to see the inclusion um, of not only the MD Muslim Youth Association but also ed- other members of the of the MD Muslim Youth Association attend this atmosphere. Um, so it says that uh, the the uh, the spokesman of the MD Muslim Youth Association he writes that. I, I met with people from the team who brought their families hours before the first match just to offer prayers behind Hazur and that alone made their day regardless of what the outcome of their match would be and being given such a great opportunity to serve the members <coughs> of the community it was a great honour to for the MD Muslim Youth Association to hold this event <coughs> so that was just a brief uh, insight to some of the activities which are happening with the Amdiya Muslim community. Mm. I know you're a footballer. Uh, uh, <coughs> did you play in the tournament? Um, I also, yes, had the chance mm. to play in the tournament, but <laughs> unfortunately we didn't qualify oh, okay. in the to uh-huh. the to the finals because it <coughs> it was the um, those who are in the finals and the semi-finals. Right. Um, that actually, so so it was the f- finals that took place. But uh, I see. So there was a qualifying round before, was there? Uh, so so on on the day, um, mm-hmm. it was actually two two games which were happening. One who were playing for the third place, mm-hmm. and uh, the the other match was obviously the right. final, and mm-hmm. it was the uh, the Mokami, uh, uh-huh. which region which t- took uh, took the trophy. Uh-huh. So Mokami referring to. The local um, Islamabad, uh, yes, local uh-huh. members of the MD Muslim Association would reside in the home grounds of Islamabad. Okay. So they had actually won the won the tournament. Uh-huh. And uh, did His Holiness attend the uh, final? Um, his, hol- the final? his Holiness, uh, no, he didn't int- uh-huh. attend. Um, okay. But uh, you know, the I think everyone really enjoyed the atmosphere and had the chance to pray behind. His holiness. Uh-huh. Was it a close match or was it a walkover by the winning team? Uh, 
it was a it was a very uh, very good match. Um, mm-hmm. I think four 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 two. If I if I recall, oh, that okay. was that that must uh-huh. have been the score. Okay, but. Uh, um, it, it, it looked comfortable, good, comfortable win for the uh, for the Mukami team. Uh-huh. Yes. Any stars? Any budding Maradonas <laughs> or uh, Pele's, Messi's or Ronaldo's? No, there were many. <laughs> there were many. <laughs> okay, many imitations. All right, many aspiring imitations. Yeah. All right. Um, right. What else do we have uh, as far as? Um, uh, stories in the wider media can say there's one that caught my eyes regarding the uh, environment uh, apparently um, the US uh, Supreme Court um, the US Supreme Court has featured much in the media recently especially over, over its ruling on abortion uh, and that ruling effectively gave each state um, license or authority to determine its policy over abortion but that's not the um, the matter that I uh, was uh, wanting to focus uh, attention on it was on uh, the uh, other uh, other matter that um, has brought scrutiny of the court, uh, and that was when the court rejected the authority of the uh, EPA. EPA is the U.S. Uh, Environmental Protection Agency. It rejected its authority to impose restrictions on industry. Uh, uh, when it comes to greenhouse gas emissions. Now, the case uh, that was brought before it uh, was by West Virginia on behalf of 18 uh, most Republican-led states and some of the nation's largest coal companies. And essentially, they were saying that uh, the EPA does not have uh, or should not have the authority to, uh, to limit their uh, carbon emissions uh, and uh, the uh, Supreme Court supported that objection of these states. Now, uh, the states were worried that their power sectors would be forced to move away from using coal. Uh, it would be at a severe economic clo- uh, cost, but crucially, it would have been at a considerable environmental benefit. But despite the environmental benefit, the, the uh, consideration of the economic cost reigns supreme. That's why they brought the case, and uh, the U.S. Supreme Court has inf- uh, supported it. Environmental groups are deeply concerned by the outcome, as historically, the 19 states that brought the case have made little progress in reducing their emissions. And emissions and reduction of em- emissions are, are necessary because of um, uh, global warming. Uh, Now, the states made up uh, 44%, these 19 states, of the U.S. emissions in 2018, and since uh, 2000 have only achieved a 7% reduction in their emissions on average. And uh, one of the uh, spokesmen for the Environmental uh, Defense Fund, uh, Vicky Patton, said that today's Supreme Court ruling undermines EPA's authority to protect people from climate pollution at a time when all evidence shows we must take action with great urgency. Uh, It means that uh, President Biden is now relying on a change of policy from those states or a change from Congress. Otherwise, the U.S. is likely to achieve its uh, climate uh, targets. Now, this matters uh, more widely as well, not just... uh, uh, with respect to the United States, 
because it will be noted by governments around the world and it will affect global efforts to tackle climate change. The U.S. accounts for nearly 14% of the world's greenhouse uh, gas emissions. And it is also uh, a country that um, some expect to set an example. And if it is not uh, supporting action against greenhouse gas emissions, then other countries may well uh, take the cue uh, to follow suit. The United Nations spokesman called it a setback in our fight against climate change, but added that no single nation could relail uh, the global effort. Uh, in the U.S., this ruling could have also affect EPA's broader uh, existing and future concern. It is a sad indictment of the world, which um, is eager to pledge so much for war. We were talking about earlier about how uh, spending is going to be raised uh, for defense in by many countries in NATO. Uh, but um, the, uh, the, it's a sad alignment as um, as mentioning that uh, the world is eager to play so much uh, for war, but not appear to make the same kind of commitment for its safety and protect uh, the world from the onslaught of the devastation that is slowly but surely uh, bringing about against it uh, in the form of uh, climate change. It is only through reminding ourselves of our duty as human beings to the environment, <coughs> as enshrined in the Holy Quran, that uh, we can become more responsible. Uh, and if we turn ourselves to God rather than the mindless pursuit of material wealth, uh, no matter what the cost, then I'm sure that we will be coming to uh, arriving at better decisions than the decisions that are currently being made, uh, unfortunately. Uh, purely on the basis of uh, material, uh, the accumulation of material wealth rather than of uh, well-being of the world. So let's hope that um, better sense prevails and that we uh, are spared the consequences of uh, these kind of decisions. Uh, and one final piece of news is about um, strikes. We are familiar with the RMT strikes. Uh, the, now the Royal Mail is uh, limbering up uh, to also strike. Uh, its managers, it was reported in the Times yesterday, have voted to strike amid claims of job cuts and worsening terms and conditions. Unite members backed walk, uh, walkouts by 86%. The union said Royal Mail was planning to cut 542 frontline delivery manager jobs, uh, something that the company disputes. Unite will announce the strike uh, dates shortly. So there's a lot of unrest, it seems, uh, in the workforce. Uh, a lot of concern about the cost of living crisis, a lot of concern about uh, inflation and the rising uh, costs that uh, we are having to uh, suffer and the need uh, to uh, have some support to manage uh, what is the cost of living crisis and other financial difficulties through uh, uh, higher wage uh, uh, agreements which is, do not seem to be forthcoming. So we'll see uh, what lies ahead and I'm sure we'll be covering that in other programs on uh, The Voice of Islam. Uh, it means also now that um, we have to move on and look at the uh, first of our main topics uh, which is regarding um, 
new blood donors. New blood donors needed is the uh, title of this particular item that we're going to be spending some time on. If you have uh, any queries, if you have any uh, thoughts that you want to share with us, you can do so on zero two. Well, you can do so uh, on our radio station by dialing in zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight, or you can tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Now, this particular story about new blood donors needed, uh, we picked up from one of the uh, uh, websites health. Uh, health-ni.gov.uk was the website and it says that blood and uh, blood products are essential resources for effective management of uh, women suffering from bleeding associated with pregnancy and childbirth, children suffering from severe anemia due to malaria and malnutrition, patients with blood and bone marrow disorders, inherited disorders of hemoglobin and immune deficiency conditions, victims of trauma, emergencies, disasters and accidents, as well as patients undergoing advanced medical and surgical uh, procedures. The need uh, for blood is universal, but access to blood for all those who need it is not. Uh, Blood shortages are particularly acute in low and middle income countries. So uh, clearly the introduction cites the various areas and various uh, conditions when uh, blood is is required. Now, to ensure that everyone who needs transfusion transfusion has access to safe blood, all countries need voluntary unpaid uh, blood donors who give blood regularly. An effective blood donor program characterized by wide and active participation of the population is crucial in meeting the need of blood transfusion during emergencies or disasters when there is a surge in demand for blood or when the normal operation of blood services is affected. While enabling a social and cultural atmosphere with strong solidarity facilitates development of an effective blood donor program, it is also widely acknowledged that the act of blood donation contributes to generating social ties and building a united uh, community. Um, now, uh, we know that uh, recent uh, news has suggested that the Health uh, Minister, Robin Swan, uh, is supporting a call from uh, the Northern Ireland uh, Blood Transfusion Service for new blood donors to come forward. And uh, speaking after giving blood at uh, uh, NIBTS headquarters, uh, this is the Northern Ireland uh, Blood Donation um, headquarters probably. Uh, Health Minister Robin Swan said the number of new donors coming forward halved during the pa- pandemic, but demand for blood has remained at the same level. Therefore, it's vital that we bolster our donor base by encouraging people who have never donated uh, before to start giving blood and go on to become regular blood donors. Changes, he said, uh, uh, to the criteria for donor eligibility uh, introduced last August means that there are now more people than ever uh, before in Northern Ireland able to give blood. So if you haven't donated before, please consider registering today. Giving blood really does save lives. Uh, Until recently, the NHS uh, intentionally relied on existing donors to fill the majority of appointments throughout the pandemic because they are far more likely to make a successful donation, a vital measure to make every donation count, while social distancing um, reduced uh, available chair space. This meant that fewer appointments were uh, were available for uh, new donors alongside the national 
uh, natural life cycle of, of blood donors, donors retiring every day. This led to the community of active donors shrinking last year to its lower level, uh, lowest level since 1996. Now, as life returns to normal and with few people donating regularly, the NHS needs new blood donors to play a crucial role in its recovery. An unprecedented 100,000 new donors are needed to register and donate blood by, sp- by the spring to achieve the largest ever annual recruitment drive and join the amazing 67,000 new donors who have already joined this club this year. Uh, one million more blood donors are needed over the next five years to ensure patients receive the right type of blood to save and improve their lives with a particular need for black African, black Caribbean, and younger and younger donors. And we'll be discussing this particular aspect of the need for more blood uh, with uh, our guest uh, later on during the course of the program. Uh, Orin, I think, uh, is... Uh, uh, his name, Dr. Um, uh, Mr. Oren Lewis, um, OBA, will be joining us hopefully uh, in the next few minutes. Uh, the five-year blood service strategy, published at the national at the start of the National Blood Week, uh, that started um, uh, earlier last month uh, on the 13th. Um, this uh, particular strategy sets ambitious plans to recruit up to a million new donors and double the number of regular donors with the rarest blood types. This will ensure better matched blood types for patients in the future and reduce health inequalities. Um, so that's basically uh, what uh, this particular story had to offer. Uh, most people know the, the main blood types. O positive uh, is uh, 35% of the population. O negative uh, represents 13, 13% of the population. A positive, 30%. A negative, 8%. Uh, a, a B positive, 8%. What is uh, very rare is B negative, 2%. And AB positive, 2%. Uh, but the public is less familiar with the many subtypes that can provide an even better match to improve their, their treatment. Now we are trying to get uh, Mr. Orin uh, uh, Lewis on the uh, on the line. Um, um, I'm not sure how successful we are. I think we may have succeeded. Uh, Mr. Orin Lewis, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, thank you. Uh, and just to give you a short introduction, uh, Mr. Orin uh, Lewis is the co-founder and chief executive of the African Caribbean Leukemia Trust. Thank you very much for coming on to the show, uh, uh, Orin, uh, and speaking to us. No, it's on the honor of that, yeah. Okay. Can you please tell us about your trust? Uh, I mean, you I mentioned that you're the chief executive of this African-Caribbean Leukemia Trust. Uh, what is it, and what it is? what is it trying to achieve? Well, the African-Caribbean Leukemia Trust is a charity that I co-founded with my wife uh, just over 26 years ago, and it's because it came from a personal need. Our, our son, Daniel, Daniel DeGale, definitely needed a bone marrow or stem cell transplant because of fighting leukemia, which is a blood cancer. And he needed this life-saving treatment because there were so few people of his ethnicity on the registers around the world. Now, as part of this treatment, um, 
of chemotherapy and looking for a donor, he needed lots of blood transfusions as part of his regular treatment. Mm-hmm. And after a six-year search, a donor was found in the uh, United States and uh, gave him many more years to do great things in, in, in life. And we've carried on that work on behalf of so many other people of all ethnicities, but um, specifically those from the black and ethnic minority communities. Mm. And uh, it's made a massive difference. Um, and as much as Daniel did find his donor, tragically, we did lose him um, in 2008 after 10 years of living a relatively healthy um, life in terms of doing things as a regular young man, but uh, he passed away from multiple organ failures. So oh, sorry we had a personal we that's okay, we had a personal need, but it's become for the last twenty five, twenty six years something that is let we want to leave a legacy for all communities, especially the ethnic minority communities of getting people to give blood and to look at other forms of donation to help another person in need. Hmm. Remind me, why did it take six years to search for an appropriate donor? Well, what was so special about what you were looking for? Well, in terms of uh, bone marrow or stem cell, uh, the sort of interchangeable terminology, the the match, the matching donor has to be someone of the same ethnicity to get the best match. And there were so few people of African or Caribbean descent on the register in this country, or even anywhere around the world, myself and, and his mom, Beverly, we decided to create our own organization to help him and as a byproduct, help as many other people, the same ethnicity, find the donor. And it's a long, it, it was a long search. It was a worldwide search before um, someone in, a lady called Doreen, who lives in Detroit in, in the United States, was uh, found to be on the register. Um, sort of mm-hmm. six months or so after she'd registered and she was found to be the equivalent of the lottery winning ticket for ourselves and Daniel. Right. So finding a donor can be very difficult, especially from black and South Asian communities. We don't have enough people on registers and also um, the diversity factor mm-hmm. among especially black people in terms of their bone marrow type. Right. Very, very diverse. Right. And how, how vital is is blood in the treatment of leukemia? It's very it's important, actually. So a patient with a blood cancer like leukemia would have chemotherapy or radiotherapy as their main um, part of their treatment. But alongside it, they need blood, um, especially for certain blood products like platelets, which allow you to to heal when you cut yourself. We know when we cut ourselves, it bleeds. Mm. But, but if we have a healthy bone marrow, within minutes, it will start to clot and start to heal itself. The clotting agent is something called platelets, which is found within blood. So uh, in someone like Daniel who has spiking leukemia, their platelet levels would drop. And so you need, um, you need new platelets from donated blood from from other people and that that's what that helps a patient like Daniel to fight um, the the leukemia the disorder keep a relatively healthy 
balance of life. So blood products are very, very important as part of treating blood cancers like leukemia. Hmm. And um, why should we donate and um, donate blood? And is there is there an alternative to blood plasma? Well, it's an interesting question. There are chemi- there are blood pla- blood plasma is very very important because it's it's a clear uh, fluid that's found in in in, in blood and used for many forms of uh, clotting agents for. Um, patients fighting cancer, like blood cancer, like leukemia. There are um, studies and organizations, medical organizations, who are trying to put alternative um, forms of treatment uh, to plasma. I'm not a, I'm not a, a, a pharmacist, you know, a pharmacist, but uh-huh. I, it, as far as I know, plasma is the best form of treatment. Um, in terms of utilizing alongside whole blood, right? Um, because you know your 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 plasma very much works in 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 fueling the uh, ingredients to make sure your your blood works okay. So it's it's the white cells, it's the plasma, it's the platelets, it's the red cells all working together, and plasma is a key function. Hmm. Okay, um, I've got my colleague with me. Um, he'll be asking you a few questions. Is that okay? No, that's fine. Thank you for joining us, um, Brother Owen Lewis. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to ask you, uh, what are some of the complications uh, when it comes to blood donation? Well, complications, I mean, I give blood. I, I've done it 51 times, and most of my 51 times have been... Uh, Fine, but the complications could be you might get you might if it's not administered properly you might get some bruising um, if, if the person who's uh, taking your blood is, is not doing it properly. I mean, most people, most times that's done it's done correctly. They're trained people, but if it's not done correctly, you will you know you could get some bruising, um, and if it, it, you might get some bleeding coming back if it's not again it's not administered properly but generally speaking blood donation blood giving is very safe um well administered especially now during the covid uh, situation it's very much you, you have to be wearing uh face masks um everyone's kept, kept in, keeping to the distance and minimum distance so as a as a, as a rule of thumb Giving blood is is very safe, but you you know you have to make sure that uh, you are you you don't have something like uh, hepatitis B or C. Don't have uh, West Nile virus. Um, make sure you're clear. Make sure you um, you do not you do not have an HIV status. So you the person that gets that that's donating has to make sure that they are they are healthy themselves. And on the other side, the person that's administrating you in terms of taking your blood has to be well trained. And if you get that combination correct, there are, there should be no problems in terms of uh, donating blood. It is one of the great things you, a person can do on behalf of someone else. And uh, how can how can we donate blood safely? Well, doing it safely, it, it's a case of making sure that. You drink a lot of water, um, and and make sure your iron levels are 
uh, a good enough level in terms of making sure you have lots of uh, greens and, and vegetables, uh, carrots, um, roughage spinach in your diet. So make sure that when you go to give blood on that day, that you are healthy enough to pass the, the, the fingerprint test to make sure that your iron level on the day is is okay. Um, yeah, things like that. Thank you. And and lastly, how is the blood used when donated, and what uh, processes does it go through to get to the people people requiring it? Well, in terms of the blood is sent sent off to um, the various places. It's sent off to the lab. Okay? So in this country, they set up specialized labs under the jurisdiction of the of the NHS blood and transplant. And they are, the blood products are separated. Um, blood cells are, are, are refrigerated and kept in and kept there for I think anything up to about forty-five days. You've got um, the plasma is, is separated and, and put in into um, again refrigerated uh, the platelets as well. So they are they are kept for quite a period of, of time, um, and then you then sent off especially the red cells are sent off to particular hospitals around the country where the need is greatest. So, for example, when I give blood, um, approximately 10 to 12 days later, I get a text message that tells me um, which hospitals uh, the actual blood has actually gone to. And it's a very uh, rewarding experience to know where that blood has gone because it may, in my case, it's gone to a, they will go to a hospital where there may be sick or cell patients who need um, blood donation and ethnicity can become a factor in terms of the matching process to make sure that this, it goes to where the demand is greatest. Great, thank you so much, um, Orwin Lewis. You are the co-founder and chief executive of the Arif- African Caribbean Leukemia Trust. Thank you so much for uh, joining us this morning and sharing your expertise on this particular subject. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Right, I understand uh, we have uh, another guest on the line. Um, it's another expert, should I say. Um, he's the uh, 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 former president of the Amdi Muslim Youth Association Netherlands, uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Usman, uh, thank you very much for joining us uh, on the breakfast show. Assalamu alaikum. Yes, alaikum. Jazakallah for having me on the show. Uh, it's a pleasure. Um, now, uh, I understand that you were associated with the Sun Queen, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, um, effort. This is the uh, Dutch uh, blood bank, isn't it? And. Uh, uh, this is something that the Ambi Muslim uh, Youth Association was uh, closely involved in. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about this project? Yes. Um, you see, across the globe, in different countries, the Ambi Muslim Youth Associations uh, do organize blood donations and blood drives. Uh, and it is in the most, uh, mostly in the Western country, that it is arranged together with a with a blood bank or a concerning organization but in Holland the situation is rather different in this regard um, over here there is only one blood bank uh, you know which uh, operates across the country called Sanquin as you just mentioned and I've been serving for the more than 20 years uh, in the youth association and I'm a witness of the fact 
there are many occasions uh, we have tried to get a blood donation program or blood drive organized uh, together with Sanquin, but um, the approach is their approach is uh, rather um, on an individual basis. Um, it could not be um, that we could hold uh, some program for for a group or a group of members. But this was the first time, with the blessing of God, that in 2021 uh, we had contact with their uh, higher management, and it was uh, a possibility that we uh, could collaborate together in this regard. And I must say, it was not a project; it was a program that we started with them that would be kicked off with this event that we held last August mm -hmm. um, in one of our mosques, where they came with their mobile hospital to get our um, members uh, examined and registered uh, and to get on uh, from there onwards uh, for plasma and blood donation. I see. So it was a registration that took place rather than the giving of blood at that particular instance. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. Yes. Uh, and, you know, uh, you, I describe you as uh, a member of the, I understand you were also the, the president of the Amdi Muslim Youth Association of the Netherlands. Now, as a Muslim, uh, how important is this kind of effort that uh, serves humanity? Well, um, the teachings of Islam revolve around the two uh, you know, main objectives. The first one is that fulfilling the rights of the Creator, and the other one is fulfilling the rights of the creation. Uh, which starts from uh, your direct family to your neighbors, to your community, to your city, to your country, stretching uh, towards the whole community, uh, to the whole humanity. So it is one of the two key objectives of, of Islamic teachings to serve humanity. And, and with this, uh, in this uh, regard, we are, uh, as a youth association, we are trying to um, do our utmost uh, according to our capabilities and abilities. Um, uh, as we know that in this age between 15 and 40 years that the membership of Youth Association is, um, one is uh, physically the most eligible, I would say, mm -hmm. to uh, you know serve in this regard. Right. It's part of your religious duty as a Muslim to be able to do something like this. Is that, would that be correct? Yes, absolutely. Right. absolutely. As, as I just mentioned, it is you know, yes. uh, one of the two main objectives uh, yeah. of our Islamic teachings and the commandments of, from the Holy Quran. No, certainly, certainly. Uh, Imam Tokir has also some questions, if you don't mind answering them as well. Thank you. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi Thank you for joining us this morning, uh, respected Usman. Uh, I wanted to ask you, um, I mean, you've mentioned, uh, you know, the registration which took place with the Dutch blood bank. Um, I, I wanted to ask, uh, you know, for our listeners that don't know, the MDA Muslim community in the Netherlands is fairly a small community. And uh, but having said that, you know, they're doing extremely a lot of work to for to serve mankind. How often does the youth uh, donate blood? If you could uh, just uh, let, let our listeners know regarding that. Yeah, um, as you just mentioned, it is a small community in the Netherlands. Um, and tight at that time, last year, uh, I would say our members were around uh, 400, uh, out of which uh, around 100 members uh, took part in this program to get registered. 
Um, and afterwards, and I just mentioned it was not a project, it was a program to be kicked off from this event onwards. And um, afterwards, what we are striving is that on uh, at regional basis, uh, in in groups, uh, members um, go on monthly basis to uh, to donate blood and and mainly plasma in this regard. So um, yeah, that that is uh, an ongoing uh, program, I would say, which is now uh, going on a monthly basis. Definitely not everybody, not each member uh, is is coming back on monthly basis. But um, our uh, what we are striving for is that at least uh, twice a year the registered members uh, do uh, donate blood or plasma and and how was the general feedback been from the public and the wider media you see it was um, also a pilot project for sanquin as they had never collaborated with any uh, other organizations or groups so um, it, I must say, it was very much welcomed by uh, the media as well because we got a lot of media attention, uh, the local, the regional, and even the national TV channels uh, covered this, this program, and we got a lot of positive feedback. And um, one very important thing, a very interesting thing, I would say, uh, in this regard is that um, other organizations uh, under which some church organizations also um, approached Sanquin afterwards uh, and it was more of an, an inspiration project for them as well so it also helped others uh, to get on and as Sanquin had a positive uh, experience with us uh, they took it further so uh, it was very very well uh, received uh, by the media as well as by other organizations and the general public. Great, thank you so much, uh, respected uh, Usman Ahmed. You are the former president of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association in the Netherlands. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, sharing your expertise on this particular subject. Thank you so much for having me. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. So we've just listened to respected uh, Usman, who was a um, former president of the MD Muslim Youth Association in the Netherlands and it's, it's not just the case there in Netherlands but you'll find um, in various parts uh, of the world in various countries the MD Muslim community is playing a active role in in serving humanity as uh, this is according to the teachings of Islam um, as, as mentioned that uh, if we look at the two main aspects of the sharia one is that you should serve god you should uh, give due rights of god almighty and second is that you should give due rights towards this creation um, and that means that you know being an active member within the wider society um, and helping um, you know the wonder members of the society so after the eight o'clock news we'll be listening to another um, another guest and he is also um, part of the Empty Muslim Youth Association but here in the UK um, and we'll also be looking at some of the activity which is taking place here in the UK um, but just a brief introduction on uh, the guest who will be having after the news uh, so the, we'll be listening to Dr. Nasir uh, Domun and his role within the Empty Muslim Youth Association is that he is the stream lead for healthcare and Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association's national charities 
and welfare department. So we'll be listening to him after the um, after the uh, after the eight o'clock news. Mm. But now we'll be um, going into a short interlude, and after that we'll be listening in uh, to the eight o'clock news. So don't go anywhere. Peace be upon you. Good morning. Welcome back to the breakfast show at the Voice of Islam with the Mom Tokit and me and myself. We'll leave them at the time. It is two minutes past eight. It's Friday, the first of July, twenty twenty-two. We were discussing earlier the subject of uh, new blood donors needed. Uh, We spoke to uh, the co-founder and chief executive of the uh, uh, African-Caribbean Leukemia Trust, Mr. Orin Lewis. And just before the break, we were speaking to Mr. Usman, the former president of the Amdiya Muslim Youth Association in the Netherlands, uh, on uh, the drive that they were associated with uh, in in Holland. Uh, now, I'm pleased to note that we have another caller, uh, another expert, should I say. Uh, it's um, Dr. Nasser uh, Damoun, uh, and he's the stream lead for healthcare uh, at the Amdiya Muslim Youth Associations uh, and the National Charities and Welfare Department. Thank you very much for coming on to the uh, breakfast show. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. Assalamu alaikum, Nasser. That's fine. Is it Nasir or Nasser? Uh, I'm not Nasir. quite Nasir. Okay, thank you very much for coming on. Um, the 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 Muslim Youth Association uh, in the UK has been actively involved with blood donations throughout the country. Now, can you mention um, some of the work for the benefit of our leaders, uh, of our listeners? Uh, can you mention some of the work that the association has been involved in? Of course. So. Uh, Across the UK, we've donated thousands of units over the years. So blood drives have been running for over 30 years in the UK. This year, we plan three blood drives uh, in February, June and October. And we've had to adjust this because of our annual convention. However, we're still running two. Um, By the grace of God, the first blood drive, we managed to donate 260 units of blood across our membership. Mm-hmm. However, our target is very ambitious. Uh, our national president has asked us to try to have 50% of our membership donate across the year. That's 3,500 units. Um, so we are working very hard on this. We're quite far from that, but we're just trying to encourage our guys during the blood drive to donate. At the moment, we're at about 350 units across the year. However, we're working alongside the NHS Blood Donation Service in trying to offer our mosques, mission houses, properties as donor sites and have them registered as donor sites. Mm -hmm. So we've had quite a few visits from the team to assess the suitability of our venues. So far... None have been accepted because there are very exacting standards and the regulation is very high in the UK uh, compared to other countries. But, God willing, we'll get some of our mosques registered to will enable more and more people to donate blood. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also in the process of trying to have some promotional sessions in our national or international headquarters in Islamabad. Mm-hmm. And also, as I mentioned, um, they changed the date of our National Youth Rally. So we're trying to have a, a big donation session, a big drive there as well. So we're, we're working on this. Right, 
Right. And how optimistic are you about achieving the target that has been set? I think with a lot of prayer and a lot of effort, um, we should try our absolute utmost to get there. We probably won't. Most we donated in a year is about 100 units. So, Sorry, how many units did you say? I think the, lo- the line has been dropped for some reason. Uh, so we've lost uh, contact with uh, Nasir. Uh, we hope to be put back uh, very soon. Um, in the meantime, have you, uh, Imam Fakir, um, have you? I know I, I used to do it when I was young, but I haven't done it recently. Have you been able to donate blood yourself? Uh, no, I actually haven't. Uh, I no. haven't been uh, been able to donate blood. I I once did go with my uh, with m- with my friends. Mm. Uh, they they forced me to go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's I'm, I'm a little because some people uh, with the needle, you know, you're, some people are yeah. a little hesitant. Yeah. So and especially when it's your first first time. So, but I nevertheless I went with them. But the thing is, they they check even if you have um, a slight cough or oh. if you've got a bit of a runny nose then they mm. don't actually accept blood mm-hmm. um, I, okay. I do believe we are uh, joined again uh, by Dr. Nasser uh, Dr. Nasser are you I with us? I think uh, there was something uh, that gone that went awry with the, our uh, connection with you anyway uh, so you're mentioning uh, that you're quite optimistic about uh, uh, achieving uh, achieving a goal. What happens when you when you register? Uh, does uh, the uh, blood donation authorities do they book uh, visits to the premises that you registered on a regular basis? So it, it depends. So there are there are fixed donor sites in the UK. Um, How many? How many? Did you say there six? Are, there, are, I think there are twenty-seven in in England oh. and. There are England and Scotland and Wales are separate. Um, I'm not sure about their numbers. So these are fixed sites. And also there are um, community venues, which we're trying to get our mosques to become some of their community venues. Mm-hmm. So the so everything has to go to the NHS Blood website, so blood.co.uk, and registers on that site. And then they put their address in on the website, and it brings up all the donor sites close to you and their dates, so they're fixed slots now. Mm-hmm. Before COVID, we had quite a lot of um, flexibility and relaxation. However, it's become quite quite a bit more stringent in, in this COVID period, and mm-hmm. after that, it'll be the same. So then they find uh, a convenient time and slot for them, and, and the, the, the books. So our aim is to get as many as we can registered. Mm-hmm. So that they're always ready then. So once you register once, you can just put your login details, and if you want to donate blood, you can just find a venue and suitable date and time, and you book then, and then you go to that. So the first time you donate, there's a lot of more paperwork and things, mm-hmm. but once you're on that path, it becomes very easy to donate, and you're allowed to donate every three months. So once the authorities come with their vans uh, to our mosque premises, is, do you then just uh, do you then publicise the blood donation drive to the wider community, or do you just confine it to uh, the Ahmadiyya Muslim uh, Association? No, no, each the wider community. Uh-huh. This donation with the van is is in the COVID era. 
is very difficult to get at the moment right. in the UK. Right. Um, uh, that's why we want our donor okay. sites, the, our moths to be actual registered donor sites. Right. Okay. So we can then do that. Oh, excellent. Hey, hey Imam Zakir uh, has some questions as well. Uh, thank you for, for joining us today. Uh, I wanted to ask you, um, uh, you know, you being a Muslim, um, I want to ask you how important is it to serve humanity? What does Islam teach us regarding this? So I, I think uh, a few a few quotes have been given and um, it's vital, it's a fundamental part of Islam. Rights, as, as the previous host has pointed out, we have rights to that we have to fulfill to God, and we have rights to His creation. So, giving blood is part of that service to humanity, giving something back. And this is what the teaching is of, of prophets. May peace and blessings of God be upon them um, and our caliph. So, we should always try and give something help others as best possible. Giving blood is one that hey, we do it. In fact, in the in verse 5 of the Holy Quran, it, it, part of the verse mentions that um, he who saved one life or gave one life, it is as if uh, they had saved the whole humanity. So that emphasizes the importance of, of, of such activities in that each unit of blood donated has a potential to save three lives. Fantastic. Great, uh, Dr. Nasser Damun. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for. Um, your your line, I'm afraid, is not that great. Uh, but thank you so much for, for joining us today and uh, contributing to the Voice of Islam radio station. Uh, you're, you are the stream lead for healthcare and also um, the Muslim Youth Association's National Charities and Welfare Department. Uh, you're representative of that. So thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thank you. That's the number to call if you do want to get in touch with us. Um, so, as as we've listened to uh, our auxiliary organisations, MTM Muslim Youth Association in the Netherlands and also here in the UK, you would have realised that serving humanity is a integral part. Uh, of a Muslim and in fact this is exactly what it mentions in the Holy Quran that we should serve mankind and uh, and if we look at chapter 3 verse 111 God Almighty addressing um, addressing the uh, Muslims it reads that O people of Islam you are the best people raised for the good of mankind because you have you have uh, been raised to serve others. You enjoin what is good and forbid evil and believe in Allah. So this means that you will remain the best as long as you are service-minded. You promote good, you promote the welfare of the society. And if you fail to do this, you no longer have a right to boast of the superiority of Islam and the Muslim Ummah. And a society which is incentive to the suffering of other human beings and is not always inclined to serve the cause of humanity cannot be described as an Islamic society, no matter how much it adhered to other aspects of Islamic teachings. And in fact, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he also emphasized love, sympathy and kindness towards all. 
He also emphasized that uh, we must show each other uh, great appreciation at one place. He said that one who is not grateful to mankind is not grateful to Allah. And similarly, if we look at uh, some of the writings of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, the founder of the Amdiya Muslim community, he has also emphasized in uh, in serving mankind and showing sympathy towards mankind. Um, and he had a great compassion uh, for mankind. He, in fact, at one place, he said that sympathy for all mankind is a moral obligation and a duty. And that religion is no religion uh, which does not inculcate sympathy. Nor does that man deserve to be called a man who does not have sympathy in him. And at another place, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, he said, the teachings of the Holy Quran can be divided into two major categories. The first being unity of God, love and obedience to him. And the second is to treat your brothers, your fellow fellow beings kindly, be kind and merciful to humanity and always work for the good of mankind. And lastly, I'll read another quote out where the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, he says that treat mankind in the same way that a mother treats a child. This is the way you should be and not that you help someone only so that you can attain benefit or take a favor in return. Um, so with that, we'll conclude this uh, particular segment and I'll hand the mic over to our host, Brother Vili, to uh, introduce us to the next segment. Uh, thank you for that, Imam uh, Fakir. Um, yes, the second segment or second main story that we have is uh, regarding uh, rituals and routines. Why we need rituals, not routines, is the title of this particular topic. Again, something we picked up from one of the websites. Uh, a ritual is defined by psychologists as a predefined sequence of symbolic actions often characterized by formality and repetition that lacks direct instrumental purpose. So that's the definition as far as psychologists is concerned of a ritual. Uh, research identifies three elements of a ritual. First, it consists of behaviors that occur in fixed succession, one after the other, and are typified by formality and repetition. Secondly, the behaviors uh, have symbolic uh, meaning, and lastly, uh, these ritualized behaviors generally have no obvious useful purpose. Rituals occur surprisingly often uh, within our daily lives. It is uh, believed that we form rituals based on our values. Uh, anyone can devise a simple ritual and integrate it into their daily, um, well, their daily routine or into their day or week uh, and even month. In Zen monasteries, even ordinary activities like bathing and eating are ritualized and given the complete attention of practitioners. This encourages a mindful approach to basic tasks, imbuing them with the transformational ethos. It can be as simple as taking a walk at a certain time of day, uh, baking bread or cleaning your space. You might not feel moved or changed by a ritual the first time you attempt one. You might be self-conscious or detracted, uh, distracted. This is where the repetition or, or uh, experimentation could help. Now, uh, how do you distinguish uh, a routine from ritual? A ritual 
might resemble a common routine. The difference, according to ritualists, is distinguished by one's intent. The word routine carries a connotation distinct from that of ritual. It implies a rigid sense of structure with time management and productivity prioritized. A person might rely on routine for the sake of accomplishment, an ideal tied to capitalist ideals for labor and production rather than personal enjoyment or spiritual fulfillment. Society is fascinated by the inner lives of highly successful people and their adherence uh, to unyielding habits. Self-help books and articles encourage readers to emulate the ambitious uh, morning routines of entrepreneurs. Uh, and, you know, uh, articles encourage readers to emulate the ambitious morning routines of entrepreneurs um, and uh, often uh, attributing their financial success to this regimented mindset. Meanwhile, productivity tools and apps are marketed to consumers as a shortcut to optimize the self to work more efficiently. Rituals shouldn't be reduced to just mechanis- uh, mechanistic habits. The uh, scholar Dale Wright, in his research on Zen Buddhist rituals, believed the process can facilitate the disciplined transformation of the practitioner in a way that mindless routine cannot. One can think of rituals rather than, uh, well, one can think of rituals then as a spiritual predecessor to uh, routine. Uh, Rituals can uh, be an artistic process, a meditation, uh, a communal celebration, uh, or a simple act of observation, according to Kate Southworth. Uh, She's a London-based artist whose works are rooted in ritual. Uh, And she says that rituals often have an intention. Um, I think the framing of that intention to be as important as its enactment. So it's a form of resistance. uh, And she added that to uh, let go of the national mind, let go of the rational mind uh, of habit and routine is uh, characteristic of of, uh, ritual. When when a ritual is written uh, out or explained, the activity can seem very simplistic uh, or fruitless to outsider. Uh, The the best way to understand a ritual according to practitioners is to engage with it, even if that participation is limited to empathy. Uh, And uh, a Zen uh, Buddhist uh, scholar, uh, I think his name is Mr. Wright, he's he's, uh, is said, is quoted to have said, uh, from an outsider's perspective, the rites performed by others will always seem hollow and devoid of meaning just by virtue of one's distance from them. Uh, And research suggests that whether informal, secular, individual or uh, group-based rituals can have a positive effect on our well-being as they have stress-busting qualities. So uh, this essentially is uh, what uh, this particular... Uh, site has uh, given us in terms of rituals and routines. Uh, we have Imam uh, Burhan, Imam, uh, I understand it's uh, well one of our experts on the line. 
um, is it uh, Caitlin, uh, Caitlin McConnell, um, I believe, and uh, she, um, she has a number of research interests. Uh, it's quite, they're quite interesting. Uh, behavioral ecology and long-distance communication in, elef- in African elephants as it relates to conservation and human hearing. Climate change in uh, African arid ecosystems uh, uh, is also included as one of her interests. Thank you very much for joining us, Dr. Caitlin. Oh, well, thanks so much for having me. Right, no, it's a pleasure. Okay. Uh, I was quite um, intrigued by the mention of elephants. I thought there may have been a misprint, but it wasn't. Uh, where does your interest in elephant science stem from? Um, well, I came from a, a background of studying insect communication and then got a position in Africa to study elephants. Right. And um, how uh, um, popular is this science? How popular? Well, Mm. I mean... Are there many people uh, investigating and looking into uh, this? Into rituals, you mean? Elephant Uh, science. Oh, elephants. Well, not too many people, but there is a global interest in elephants. People are very intrigued by elephants. So it's, um, it's something that people are, are watching, and it's, it's very exciting to be able to reveal uh, their society over the years and mm-hmm. how similar their society is to ours. Right. And when it comes to r- rituals, how would you define what rituals are? Well, r- rituals are, you know, they're different than habits. It's it's a set of very specific actions that are repeated in a purposeful way. It's like thinking about a marching band where everyone is wearing the same color and they're moving in the same very formalized way. And this, for an elephant, this um, very specific ritual would be something like placing a trunk in another's mouth, which is a greeting ritual. Hmm. Okay. And that this these repeated actions stimulate the amygdala, which cause you to focus more and remember more. And by doing these actions together as a group, you you formalize the bonding of that group and make that individuals within the group much more tightly connected. And that's why rituals can be very powerful in groups. Okay, so you mentioned uh, this ritual uh, about um, animal greeting. Are there any other examples of ritualistic behavior in the animal kingdom that you can uh, mention? Sure. Um, Many people are familiar with the play bow in the dog where they place their front legs far apart and splayed down and they're inviting play. And Mm -hmm. lions do a very similar thing where they jump on each other and, and pretend to catch prey by uh, playing with a litter mate. And these, a lot of play activities are um, designed to help the animal practice for the adult world. So for male elephants, they spar in a very ritualized way in order to um, be better competitors as adults to fight for a female. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, um, lions, very similar, they're practicing to be able to catch their prey. Or in like springbuck 
jump really high in the air. It's called pointing. And that is play, but it's also a way of evading predators. So play has a very specific um, uh, meaning and and purpose. Mm. And uh, these annual rituals, how do they compare? How do they resonate with the human rituals? Well, the thing that the reason I wanted to write this book is that um, wild rituals is that the animal kingdom. We are part of the animal kingdom, and we are social animals just like lions and elephants and chimpanzees and dogs, we have the same rituals for the very same reasons, to bond with each other, to form tighter groups. Hmm. So the handshake is, is also, would you say, would, also, would you describe that as a ritual as well? Yes. So our greetings where we look each other in the eye, we shake each other's hand, it actually uh, elicits the hormone oxytocin, uh-huh. which is a bonding ritual, which brings two people together. Right. Okay, that's interesting. Um, my um, yeah, colleague has some questions, uh, if you don't mind answering them as well. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us uh, this morning, uh, Dr. Kaylin, at the Voice of Islam radio station. I wanted to ask you, how can rituals help us find a simpler and more meaningful way in life? Yes, I think that's a very important question. When we engage in ritual, there's this fulfillment that one experiences that makes you realize that having less things in your life help you simplify and focus on those meaningful things, meaningful relationships, and having things around you that are meaningful. And, and having ritual in your life just helps you be more conscious of, of what you're doing on a daily basis, what you're doing that's meaningful and focused and bringing uh, more bonded interaction with people that you care about, um, I think ritual really helps you simplify and, and think about what's important. Thank you. Um, and how can the rituals of animal kingdom make us more connected to ourselves and nature? You know, for the 30 years that I've studied elephants, I'm always reminded of how important ritual is by watching how important ritual is in their lives and in their relationships. And then as I'm sitting here looking out of my tent, I'm seeing giraffe and zebra and a whole bunch of other ungulates engaging in ritual themselves. Zebra, when they um, greet, they nip each other's necks. And that's a very important thing to do. It's soothing and it shows that there's that they can trust each other and if they don't do that, they could create a grudge and suddenly they'll get kicked. <laughs> so mm-hmm. There's some very practical elements to this. For, for elephants, if they don't greet each other, there's always, they're always kind of on edge until they actually do place the trunk in the other's mouth and then they both relax. And and uh, how can we learn from, I mean, you, you know, you've mentioned quite a lot, but um, how can we learn from some of these different habits that uh, animals exhibit and try to incorporate them into our own lives? 
No, the, 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 by watching how important ritual is to other social animals is a reminder that we should not be ignoring these very same rituals. Greeting, if we don't greet each other, we don't get that same bonding mm. uh, sense of, of warmth and positivity. Even for a stranger, as you walk down the street, if you look at someone in the eye and smile, you're, you're elevating both of your days. And it's just such a simple little thing, but it makes such a big difference in, in the day, in your perspective, and that translates into more positive interactions with with everyone during the day. Yes, absolutely. And, and do you think uh, that now there has been a decline in rituals in recent times? I do. And, you know, as I was writing this book, we had a global pandemic, and I think people realize how not being able to be in person it really hurts us. Being isolated from each other is, is a very um, hurtful thing. And if, if we can be in person, touch each other, look each other in the eye, smile, it's, it makes a huge difference. And having that loss of those rituals, you know, not even being able to smile because we're wearing masks, so suddenly your eyes are more important to say that you're greeting by smiling with your eyes. It's, uh, the pandemic has just been a really poignant reminder of how ritual is important in our lives and, and how greeting and how coming together uh, in reunions are, are really important. Great. Thank you so much uh, for, for joining us uh, this morning. And, you know, you have mentioned your book, while rituals any of our listeners who are interested in uh, reading this uh, how can they uh, best access it uh, well it's available um, at amazon.com and you can go to my uh, author site caitlinoconnell.com and there are ways to buy the book through Barnes and Noble and other independent stores Fantastic. Uh, Dr. Caitlin Coronel, thank you so much for joining us this morning and uh, sharing your thoughts on this particular subject. Well, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. 02086877878. That's the number to call if you do want to get in touch with us. So we are moving the discussion more towards a Islamic um, perspective. And uh, what does Islam say uh, with regards to one's particular rituals or what one would say particular habits that one does? Um, and and to go m- dwell more into the Islamic perspective of it, we'll listen to a short clip. And this is fr- from a program, uh, from an MTA program called Al-Muslimat. So we'll just listen to this and then we'll dwell more into this particular subject. I'd like to ask my sister Noor to first define the term rituals. Assalamu alaikum uh, viewers and thank you Sada for asking me the question. Um, I would uh, give you the literal uh, meaning of uh, ritual. The literal meaning of ritual is that it is a set of actions and that may be practiced by a religion or by a tradition or a culture of a community. 
So basically, we can say a ritual is a set of actions. Okay, and there is Islam also has a set of actions, and Islam also has many rituals. So how do we differentiate between Islamic rituals and un-Islamic rituals? Yeah, that's a, a very good question, I would say, because uh, yes, we do have uh, Islamic rituals and we do have un-Islamic rituals and we should uh, differentiate between those. Uh, first of all, I would uh, be talking about Islamic rituals. Islamic rituals are those that are uh, found in the Holy Quran, that are taught by the Holy Prophet ﷺ, that are practiced by Holy Prophet ﷺ in the Khulafah. Uh, as well and some of those are like uh, offering daily prayers fasting and giving uh, money for charity or giving zakat or the pilgrimage and these are also called the five pillars of islam so these are all the islamic rituals these these are uh, the core of our religion and are taught by holy prophet but uh, besides that, there are some other un-Islamic rituals. So those un-Islamic uh, rituals may be related to wedding or deaths or birth or these kinds of things. And these rituals have no place in Islam or have no teachings in the Islam, neither in the Holy Quran. And these are not practiced by Holy Prophet uh, Muhammad Sallallahu during his uh, lifetime. So whatever uh, we find in the Holy Quran, whatever we find from the life of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, whatever is aligned with the Holy Prophet ﷺ practices are the Islamic rituals and we are allowed to follow those and we are supposed to follow those. But those which are not aligned with the practices of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, neither found in the Holy Quran are the un-Islamic rituals. So this is the basic difference between the Islamic and the non-Islamic rituals. So we just listened to a short clip from an MTA program um, called Al-Muslimat um, and in this particular clip they've defined very beautifully the you know the term as what the term ritual what it actually means and what can be considered something uh, an Islamic ritual and what what is something which would be considered un-Islamic um, and to get more uh, of uh, of the Islamic perspective on this, uh, I believe we do have with us Imam Burhan Madraja, who is uh, who is an Imam and he is also professor at Jamia Ahmadiyya UK. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and thank you for joining us this morning at the Voice of Islam radio station. And thank you for having me on your show. Thank you. Now, do you think having a routine can lead to a better mindset, improving well-being? Sorry, can you repeat your question? I think I, I I missed your question. Yes, do you think having a routine can lead to a better mindset and uh, improved well-being? Well, uh, first of all, I think as you have mentioned that uh, I have to talk about the Islamic perspective of the importance that uh, if somebody is having a routine in his life, will he be having a better life, better things will happen in his day as well or not? And this reminds me a very important verse of the Holy Quran. And that verse is basically talking about five daily prayers and offering those daily prayers on time. Uh, and uh, the verse specifically mentions that to offer the prayer on time is very important and it is for benefit of you people. Whenever I read this verse, I find out this thing that there is a hidden secret in this verse which is not only for offering five daily prayers on time 
but this hidden secret is related to everyone's life. Uh, I, I think I must mention another idiom. Um, I was told that it is a German idiom in which we, in which they say that sight is gold. That means that time is gold. So these things tell us a lot of things about the importance of time and looking after the time in your life will benefit you from every aspect. I'm not talking about only spiritual aspects. I'm also talking about materialistic aspects and all the aspects which are related to the individual life, social life in the society, and overall benefit for everyone. I think I must mention another very important and very, what should I say, universal truth kind of thing. There are different countries in the world. There are certain countries like Japan and some other countries. The time is very important there. And everything is happening there according to the time. There is no delay. Mm. And you can see these countries which are following the time, not wasting the time, doing things actively on time. They are prosperous, progressive, and from the materialistic point of view, very high uh, as far as uh, the achievements are concerned. In the same way, according to the Islamic perspective, if somebody is doing everything according to time, there is a daily routine, there, is, there, is, there are certain things which he is performing according to his routine, he will be benefiting from all aspects in his life. Absolutely. Thank you for that. And Imam Rajabran, what are the different types of rituals which are found in Islam? You know, this is this is a very very open kind of questions. Uh, the rituals. First of all, we need to define what are the rituals. Which rituals are we talking about here? And uh, I mean, I would like to mention this thing that Islam talks about each and every aspect of individual life. For example, waking up on time, and then after waking up, cleaning yourself and getting ready for the day which is coming forward in front of you, and then um, having food on time, and then, of course, offering your five daily prayers. I mean, everything is a kind of ritual, but it is not that kind of ritual which is in commonly known um, language known as ritual. So I think I would like to mention these things, that uh, one thing which is very important in Islamic life is cleanliness. And we call traditional words, it is ablution. We call in Urdu and Arabic language wudu. I think this is a very important ritual in Islamic life, that whenever you are getting ready for prayer, you need to perform an ablution. And ablution is a very technical ritual, I would rather say, and a scientific ritual as well. What I mean to say here is, you need to wash your hands three times, then you need to clean your throat, your mouth, your nose three times, then you have to wash your face three times, then you have to wash your hands till your elbow three times, right and left, and then there is a very important ritual, and especially if you are performing that ritual early in the morning, especially in the winter night, and you are feeling a little bit sleepy, then 
all of a sudden all of your muscles your bodies uh, will wake up and that is known is massa how do we perform it is very simple we wet our hand then we throw that water and then our hands are wet and then we we rub that hand all round our head around the neck and around our ear when i'm explaining this thing if my one of my listener if somebody is a muslim and he does that he will understand what happens there if there is somebody who is not a muslim who has who hasn't done it before i would like to recommend for him or her do this thing once early in the morning when you wake up wet your hand and then throw that water then rub that hand around your head then the back side of the hand around your neck then your fingers one finger in your ear and the thumb around your ear i must tell you the enjoyment the freshness the cleanliness you will feel after performing this ritual that is unexplainable that you need to feel then and there so i i think in a very short time the ritual of cleanliness performing wuzu before every prayer is very important in islamic culture and islamic routine and someone's individual life Thank you very, very beautifully put. Um, I'll pass the mic on now to our host, Brother Walid, who has uh, some more questions to ask. Yes. Uh, As-salamu alaykum, uh, Imam Burhan. Um, thank you very much for joining us. Um, uh, you mentioned, you know, Salat earlier. Um, for the benefits of our listeners, can you elaborate a bit more about uh, how Salat can be incorporated in a person's daily life? as i have mentioned in answering the first question <clears throat> that there are five daily prayers which are obligatory in an individual's life being a muslim and i must mention this thing as i have referred to a quranic verse that it is highly emphasized that you need to offer daily prayer on time on one, from one aspect it gives you a routine in your life another aspect it gives you rather it teaches you the basic fundamental purpose of your life you know according to the islamic teachings there are two purposes of our life one is to perform the rights of our creator and the second one is to perform the rights of our fellow beings as far as salat is concerned daily prayer is concerned five times in a day it reminds us that there is a creator this of our life is a blessing from the creator and we have to be thankful to him early in the morning nowadays four o'clock is the time of first prayer uh, of the day that is known as morning prayer fajr prayer then there is the second prayer which is around two o'clock and uh, that can be called the midday prayer or namaz-e-zohar as we commonly call that then there is the third prayer which is known as salatul asr nowadays we are offering it around quarter past 5 and you know as we always mention that islam is a very accommodate accommodating religion um it, it is it is for the ease of the human beings nowadays according to the time in uk we can combine our fourth and fifth prayer that is salatul maghrib and salatul isha nowadays we are offering it at around half past 9 mm. 
You know, many of us uh, lead very busy lives, uh, having other concerns to attend to. Uh, what do you would you say are the benefits of prioritizing this particular uh, ritual, salat, in yes. a person's daily routine, despite having that kind of uh, those kind of commitments elsewhere? Yeah, uh, uh, I totally disagree with the people who are saying we are having a busy life because this word busy is mm. created by us. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, we, 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 we can use it whenever we want to use it and we, we, we can leave it whenever we want to leave it. So it depends on individuals, uh, what should I say, his priorities. If he wants to do anything, then he can leave all other of his work and he can go there and uh, he, he can do that. For example, let us take the example of kids. Uh, it is everyone's life. It is We have been doing this. Our kids are doing this. The future kids will be doing this. If they are busy in their computer games and any other kind of activities, they will feel like this is the most important thing in their, in their world. Even they will leave the food. Mm. They will delay going to the toilet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> delay doing anything else. So this this busy is our thing. We mm. have created it. I can be busy in watching a match. I can be busy in uh, playing a game. I can be busy in in um, having a, 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 a very quality time with my friends and this and that. But if God Almighty is my friend, then whatever I am doing. I can leave that thing and I can offer my daily prayer according to the instructions of the Quran. But having said all these things, I just explained the word busy, how we use it, mm. rather how mm. we misuse it in our daily life. I would like to mention this thing that uh, Islam is a very flexible religion. As I have mentioned while mentioning five daily prayers, that according to the a time schedule here in UK we can combine fourth and fifth prayer and sometimes we need to combine our prayer second and third as well so if there is a kind of real urgency there is a kind of thing which is which is for the importance of the humanity then of course we can combine prayer but beside all these things relaxation in the Islam if we are offering our prayer on time if we are giving the rights of our Creator and also our fellow beings, it will benefit us from every aspect in our life. And there is no doubt in it. I'm not talking or I'm not saying it only for the sake of saying this is a practical example observed by thousands and millions of Muslims. Hmm. So let me just put the question in a different way then, <laughs> a slightly different way. Uh, okay. what, what would you say are the benefits of uh, becoming busy in Salat than other than other uh, pursuits? Well, it reminds me one of my teacher, um, may Allah elevate his status in the paradise. He used to say, "You have to, uh, you have to make your day routine around the." Salat times, around the prayer time. I mean, whatever duties you have to perform, you should schedule them in between the Salat time. For example, uh, if you you are studying in a school, and that time should come between the first prayer, the Fajr prayer, and the second prayer, and the, the Zuhur prayer. Mm-hmm. Resting time, 
um, in the middle of the day it is very common in, in in asia and pakistan that should come between second prayer and the third prayer so the example i am giving you is that the thing which i am going to explaining it to you is that mm-hmm. it also benefits us from 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 the uh, having a fruitful day mm-hmm. and uh, trying to manage as many work as possible and then there will be an automatic clock in our mind okay there will be the prayer time i have, I have to go to the prayer and before that prayer i have to finish this of my task and after my prayer i'll be going after third prayer i'll be going for the game and then after fourth prayer i'll be spending some time with my family mm. and after fifth prayer that is the time for bed so i mean yes. it gives me a, a complete program of the mm. day Hmm. an automatic system set by Allah Almighty. Yeah, so it helps you organize your day yes, and it also induces regularity as well in your activities. Yes, no, no. the grace of Allah. No, very, very well explained. Thank you so much for joining us. It has been very useful. Wadi Sahib, always welcome. Uh, I feel like doing something for the voice of Islam is a service of Islam. Jazakumullah hmm. Asal for having me on your show. It's a pleasure and we also we always welcome uh, experts like you on the show and we benefit from them I'm sure our listeners benefit from them as well uh, so thank you very much for coming on Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa right uh, moving on uh, we have to now uh, look at uh, uh, the islamic uh, aspect of this particular uh, topic further uh, imam taqi yes yes as uh, imam uh, burhan raja he's explained um the benefits of salat and this is a particular subject that we're going more into detail uh salat what what does islam say um because this is something uh which is one of the five pillars of islam and this is something uh which muslims perform on a daily basis they must perform um on a daily basis um and uh, in fact if we look in the holy quran in chapter 35 uh verse 30 and 31 god almighty says in the holy quran in the name of allah the gracious the merciful surely only those who follow the book of allah and observe prayer and spend out what we have provided for them secretly and openly hope for a bargain which will never fail in order that he may give them their full rewards and even increase them out of his bounty and he is surely most forgiving and most appreciating So Islam has laid greatest emphasis on the institution of salat and for a Muslim uh, salat is one of the five pillars of Islam and it is required of all Muslims so salat is the pinnacle of the spiritual life and the, of the believer it is the highest form of divine worship and in fact the holy prophet peace be upon him he said at one place that prayer brings the believer into communion with his lord and uh this is further elaborated the the benefits of salat uh, we find from the sayings of the holy prophet peace be upon him uh, it is mentioned that uh, one of the companions of the holy prophet peace be upon him uh, asked regarding the benefits of salat and answering this he explains to his companion that uh, uh do you see that r- river outside uh, if you were to and he says that if you were to take a bath in this particular river five times a day would there be any dirt left on your body and to this the companion replied uh, 
that no there there wouldn't be any any dirt uh, which would be left on my on my body and and his holiness replied that this is what uh, what salat does to to ourselves that it spiritually purifies us and brings us closer to god almighty so this is something which we must continuously to to perform continuously to pray to him and salat is the central and uh, principal form of islamic worship and must be observed with all its rituals and etiquettes including a ritual ablution um which is known as wudu before performing salat and however islamic worship is not limited to salat alone for the need to communicate with one's creator arises constantly during the day and this need is fulfilled by reciting prayers and remembrance of allah which is called zikr ilahi at at any time and quran the holy quran contains many short prayers for all kinds of situations and prayers used by the holy prophet peace be upon him and the promised messiah peace be upon him as well are well documented so i i wanted to um you know as we are approaching uh the news as well so i just wanted to mention some of the physical benefits of salat so according to hadith the holy prophet peace be upon him is reported to have said that verily there is a cure in salat so in light of this hadith uh, i i will read out some of the physical benefits of salat uh so some of the physical benefits are regular exercises reduces cholesterol in the body and cholesterol causes heart failures strokes diabetes and many other ailments it is no it is a known fact that people in professions where exercise is required have less amount of cholesterol in their bodies so salat is an excellent form of exercise to prevent indigestion and in the morning when the stomach is empty a muslim is required to offer fewer number of rakats um whereas in the evening the dinner we offer an extra number of rakat rakat is the number of uh, is the is the different postures within salat where one has to stand up and then uh, you know recite uh, recite the the verses of the holy quran um and and this is and you know that that whole posture is known as rakat So also it says that by offering uh, takbir at the beginning of the salat we move hand and shoulder muscles whereby increasing the flow of blood towards the torso and uh, and and, perfor- and the ikamat performs a similar function so the most important function in salat is the sajda which is the which is prostration uh, the, the position is when one prostrates um and this is where we touch the ground with our forehead and this posture increases fr- fresh supply of blood to our brain and needless to say that in certain forms of yoga some adherents stand on their heads for the same purpose so we see that there are many um physical benefits of salat as well not just spiritual benefits but there are also many physical benefits to salat as well um So having said that uh, we'll we'll conclude this particular Islamic analysis on this particular subject and now hand the mic over to to Pradhavli to conclude the show. Right thank you very much uh, for that uh, insight uh, yes we are coming to the conclusion of uh, this broadcast and uh, it leaves us to thank those people who have been involved in the preparation 
and participation. So uh, let's start with uh, offering our thanks to our producer first and foremost, uh, Nergis Nasser, for uh, her efforts, and uh, she was supported by uh, researchers Kutsi Award, Salia Bukhtiar, Neha Latif, and Hannah Ahmed, all deserving of our uh, um, appreciation and thanks. Uh, and so is uh, our engineer, Adnan Ahmed, Akib Ahmed, Adnan, making sure that things uh, ran smoothly as far as uh, the technical side of the broadcast is concerned. So thank you to him. And then uh, we mustn't forget uh, our experts who joined us. Now, uh, we were uh, very much... Uh, um, we very much benefited from Mr. Oren Lewis, uh, who is the co-founder and chief executive of the African Caribbean Leukemia Trust. He helped us understand certain aspects of our first topic, which was about new blood donors needed. Uh, so thank you to him. And uh, we were then also joined uh, later on doing that part of the program uh, by Mr. Usman, the former president of the Amdiya Muslim Youth Association in the Netherlands and the efforts that that community is making in uh, establishing blood drives in, in, uh, in, country, in that country. Uh, and then uh, we were also joined uh, during uh, that part by Dr. Nasser Dumun of uh, the Hamdiya Muslim Youth Association here in the UK. Uh, he looks after certain aspects of the healthcare and charity initiatives. And then when we went to the second uh, topic, we were joined by Dr. Caitlin O'Connell and Dr. Uh, and uh, Professor Burhan Ahmed as well. Burham and Ahmed Raja in trying to understand the second of our main topics, which was about why we need rituals, not routines. Um, so uh, they made valuable contributions, I'm sure, to our understanding of uh, that particular subject. So thank you to them. And uh, finally, thank you to all our listeners for joining us uh, on this broadcast. Do join us again uh, at uh, the uh, breakfast show from 7 to 9, Monday to Friday. So until then, there'll be short uh, uh, silence, and after that, we'll have the news. <laughs> 